All right, and thanks for joining us, everybody. It's time once again for By the Bushel, and we are joined today, once I have uh, gotten us both here on screen, we're joined today by Barry Bean, and uh, yeah, once again, it's time for By the Bushel. Um, uh, Barry is with the Missouri Farm Bureau Board, and uh, he's a heartland farmer as well. Barry, how are you today? Well, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've got fingers crossed for, for a little bit of rain. I've got I've got some crops that, that could use it, but uh, really we're looking surprisingly good considering how uh, how warm it's been. As as we mentioned earlier, I did hear something on Channel 12 about about it getting warm today. So uh, I will I will I'll take take that into account when I when I go back outside. But but things are going well. Things are going very well. Absolutely, absolutely. It's always uh, you, you got to check it for yourself too, and uh, <laughs> see if it holds up. Um, in which case, I, I think you you'd barely uh, uh, poke, poke your nose out the door today and uh, and see that it holds up. But uh, it's um, it's one of those things where we we wish that uh, this one this one was off, but uh, this this forecast was off. But unfortunately, not so much yet. Um, to get into things, can you take us through the uh, the markets, through the commodities? What's what's going on with agribusiness there? Well, absolutely, absolutely. Let me let me get my uh, my screen up here, and um, well, here we go. So, uh, yeah, let's see. There, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Of course, today, and we'll be talking about this a lot, we had the Planet Acres report today, and that was our big mover in the market. So uh, as you can see up here on cotton, now now the old crop cotton is uh, it's past first notice day, so there's no limit, not, nothing too exciting about being up 159 points at 82.84 on the July cotton contract. But December cotton closed at 80.37. That's up 134 points. So, uh, so that is very exciting. And uh, we'll talk about the reasons for that in a minute. Um, when we look out to uh, December 24, that was also up 54 points. On our corn, corn was off 33 and three quarters um, at 494 and three quarters. Soybeans were the big winner of the day, up 77 and a half cents. That is enormous, enormous. Uh, that's at 1343 and a quarter. Rice uh, barely moved today. It was off one and a half at a 1511. And wheat, uh, looking at the uh, current crop wheat, it was down 16 and three quarters at 636. Looking a little further out to the December contract, December wheat was down 15 cents at 669 and a quarter. And the uh, new crop wheat, if you're uh, already thinking about next year a little bit, goes on out to uh, 697 and three quarters. That was down 10 and three quarters. And uh, let's see here. If we go over here and take a look, we can see the Dow Jones was uh, up 269 points. You can see we've got a lot of green on that screen there. So it was a good day in the uh, macro markets. Um, I'm not sure what exactly what, what we can attribute that to. Maybe the markets are happy with the uh, Supreme Court rulings. Maybe everybody is just uh, cashing in some longs before they uh, take off for the weekend. But all of that is some good news um, for, for our commodity markets as well, because when the financials are doing well, everything else is doing well. And let me give you a little bit of the news, uh, backing up some of that. And actually, before I go any further, 
maybe the biggest news here and uh, something that I am certainly personally very excited about, watermelons are in. You can get fresh watermelons in Hawkham. You can get fresh watermelons down in uh, Zenith and Hornersville. You can, you can get them on the side of the road all around. Um, as a matter of fact, as soon as I get home, I've got a couple of melons from, uh, from Weaver's over there in Hawkham. I've got a couple of those good sugar babies that uh, I am planning to uh, crack open and enjoy. So uh, I wouldn't want to get any further into this report without, without mentioning uh, the most important commodity for the coming weekend. But um, of course, in the news, uh, the biggest news that we had today is today was the uh, Planet Acres report. And, uh, and, and one caveat with this, um, as we'll mention when we get to uh, some of the weather, some of the crop weather that, that we're going to talk about, is planted acres don't necessarily mean harvested acres. Uh, we've had some weather that will put some of these numbers uh, in with a question mark. But uh, the USDA did release their uh, June 30th uh, planted acres report. These are, of course, certified acres, so uh, unlike prospective uh, plantings that we get back in uh, March and uh, private estimates. These are based on actual data, what people have certified in the program. And so we've got uh, corn acreage is uh, up 6%. Soybean acreage is down 5%. Wheat acreage up 9%. And cotton down 19%. And we'll dig into that just a little bit more. Uh, corn planted area for all purposes in 2023 is estimated at 94.1 million acres, up 6% or 5.5 million acres from last year. This represents the third highest planted acreage in the United States since 1944. So that's going back a ways, and this is a historically large crop that they're going to be bringing in at this point, assuming that uh, all of this corn does make it to a harvest. Compared with last year, uh, planted acreage is expected to be up or unchanged in 43 of the 48 states. So as you can see, that's not just Iowa, it's not just Illinois or Indiana, that is across the corn belt. So uh, the USDA was uh, much higher than expected on that, and that probably explains why we were looking at our uh, corn being off the way it was. Let me hop back over here and uh, looking at corn being down 33%. They were expecting that to be a lot closer. Soybean acres are estimated at uh, 83 and a half million acres. That's down 5% from last year. Um, you know, compared to last year, acreage is uh, down or unchanged in 21 of the estimating states, and that is dramatically short of what the market was expecting. The private estimates were calling for soybean acres to be much, much higher than that, so uh, that explains our 77-cent run in the soybeans today. Um, so anybody who... Uh, I know, I know a couple of folks were uh, got a little nervous about their corn and planted soybeans instead, and they're they're feeling uh, pretty good right now. So, um, with uh, with with soybeans, uh, wheat wheat planted area for uh, 2023 was estimated just under 50 million acres, up nine percent. The uh, 2023 winter wheat planted area at 37 million acres is up 11 percent from last year, but down one percent from the previous estimate. So, uh, you know, wheat, wheat was more or less in line with expectations. Now, the cotton area came in at 11.1 million acres, which was exactly in line with private estimates. Um, 
Now, they, they did cover a range. I know that, uh, for instance, Lewis Rose with the Rose Commodity Group that I, that I work with um, was, was thinking that we might see a, a number that would begin with 10. There were a few folks calling for 11 and a half. But still, that's down nearly 20% from last year. Um, the upland area, which is the cotton that we raise here, um, is, uh, is up at 11 million acres. Um, it was in line with expectations, but um, this was a case where we, uh, where we bought, bought the fact and sold the rumors. So um, that was encouraging. Now, to put some of that in context, and the reason I mentioned harvesting acres is we have had some terrible, terrible weather in the last week, and I'm not just talking about heat. A lot of these crops can they, they can take one week of bad weather, especially if it's uh, if you've got adequate soil moisture before. Clearly, a problem in uh, drought states, and certainly if you get drought, if you get uh, moisture after. However, we've had storms down in Texas that have come. They they have brought some rains that they that they needed, but uh, but we've had a lot of hail and a lot of uh, in some cases 60 and 70 mile an hour winds that have absolutely mowed down young crops that, uh, that are not much further along than our crops here. So uh, when you've got cotton out there six inches tall and it's on some of those sandy soils in the, uh, in the high plains and you get a couple of days in a row where the wind just blows without ceasing at anywhere from 20 to 40 miles an hour, gusty above that, um, it, it basically uh, takes a crop out, and I've been seeing some pictures and some reports from uh, from down in Harlingen and down in other parts of the estate as well. Not in Harlingen, excuse me, up in Lubbock and other parts of the state as well, where they are already uh, disking some of that cotton under to uh, look at what other options might might be available to them. And of course, the uh, bad weather has not been um, limited to uh, to the cotton area down there in the high plains. Uh, had a major derecho uh, that went through uh, packing a one, packing a punch of 100 mile an hour winds, flattening corn fields and uh, crushing grain bins that went across Iowa, North Missouri, and uh, across several of the I states. Experienced some pretty tough weather, um, and you know we saw it in Illinois and Indiana. So. We had winds of up to 100 million acres. Clearly, that is horrible, horrible for, for corn in the field. On the other hand, it did also bring some rains to areas that are uh, that are in, in some cases D4. Um, I don't know. There may even be some D5 up there in terms of drought severity. So, uh, so that will help the crops that did not get blown over where you've got just acres and acres of corn, sometimes you can damage the outside of the field and still have the inside of the field uh, withstand it. So uh, we'll still be seeing what that damage looks like a little bit. Um, interestingly enough, 70% uh, of the U.S. corn crop is experiencing drought right now, and 63% of soybeans, and those are both up 6% from last week. So, uh, so again, those planted acres, don't necessarily translate to harvested acres. The, those remain to be seen. Also, the International Grains Council cut its 2023-24 global corn crop forecast, reflecting reduced production potential in the United States, primarily to drought conditions. The IGC forecast global, global corn production at 1.2 billion metric tons, down 6, billion metric, down 6 million metric tons from its previous expectations, but that would still be up 55 million metric tons, or about 5% from last year. 
Um, so uh, the IGC also uh, reduced its, excuse me, raised its 2023-24 global wheat production estimate uh, 3 million metric tons to 786 metric tons, million metric tons, due primarily to improve crop outlook in Ukraine. Uh, wheat production uh, is still expected to decline by 17 million metric tons from last year. And, of course, with that Ukrainian crop, given, uh, given Russia's uh, on-again, off-again willingness to abide by the uh, May agreement to keep that North Sea uh, shipping corridor open, it remains to be seen how much of that crop will make it to the market. Also, uh, as we've seen with uh, an attempted coup, in, uh, in Russia and potential problems for, uh, for Vladimir Putin. Um, it remains to be seen what, what they'll do, whether they will step things up to a safe face in Ukraine and how the Ukrainians will, will respond to it. So there's a couple of things underlying the, uh, the market. And of course, it would be a shame if we got this far without mentioning I and I. So clearly uh, interest and inflation still are still playing very much of, very much of a part in uh, setting the setting the tone for our markets, although inflation does seem to be cooling in Europe just a little bit. All right, good information to know, and I think that moves us along then to our uh, farm bill news, correct? And and when it comes to uh, the proposed uh, proposed uh, solution here with the farm bill. Yes, so we had we got some news here from uh, on the farm bill and. Uh, and actually, you know, it's, it's worth noting that at a time that it seems like the entire country is split into two camps, um, you know, the farm bill is one of those areas that we actually do see uh, some real bipartisan work going on. We see some Republicans and Democrats willing to, uh, to be pragmatic and uh, talk turkey, pardon the pun, um, instead of uh, just stick, you know, sticking to their, uh, their partisan uh, uh, policy points. But... Um, Senator Debbie Stabenow has proposed a $20 billion shift um, in, uh, in Biden administration funds from some of their climate smart programs to the farm bill. Um, as you know, there's, there's been talk about needing to expand farm bill funding um, and there's some question about where that funding would come from. Uh, we've also seen uh, some debates back and forth on the farm bill. As you know, over 80% of the farm bill is actually a nutritional assistance, things like food stamps and WIC um, programs like that. And uh, there's, there's been debate back and forth about uh, you know, work requirements and, and job search requirements for people uh, receiving food assistance. That's a sticking point with Republicans wanting to see more of that, Democrats wanting to see less of that. Putting that aside for the moment, the other thing has been um, a, a battle for funds. The Biden administration wants to see more funds going into uh, climate programs. Well, Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow has uh, opened the door to shifting about $20 billion from her climate and tax credit law enacted last year to more general spending in the upcoming farm bill. And uh, this comes at a time that, that Republicans are looking at, at that saying, you know, if we could fold that into conservation programs, then that would free up some money for straight ahead commodity titles and commodity programs and programs that we'd want to see. And a lot of a lot of those uh, 
A lot of those farm bill conservation programs are things that production agriculture uh, can take advantage of, things that, things that reduce erosion, uh, things that we've seen. Uh, we've seen things like the equip program here and uh, working with the NRCS on programs that both preserve wetlands, preserve topsoils, but also provide services to increase yield on, uh, on borderline ground. So, uh, so that is uh, very encouraging. Also, in, uh, in some of the comments back and forth, um, we also heard from uh, House Ag Committee uh, Chairman Glenn Thompson, um, GP Thompson, that uh, he's, he says he believes we could see a markup of the, uh, from the House side as early as September. Now, in a perfect world, we'd have the whole bill done by September because the current bill will expire um, in September. At this point, this is looking pretty doubtful, but having a markup by that point does increase the possibility. And uh, Senator Stabenow did mention that uh, she was certainly open to a short-term extension of the current program that could potentially kick this on down the road as far as December or January. If it goes much past that, then it will have to get kicked to 2024 because producers need to be making plans. I mean, a lot of them are making plans right now for what they want to do next year. But certainly by the time we get to November and December, people need to be, people are buying seed, they're buying fertilizer, they're, uh, they're making their tillage decisions over the winter. So uh, anyhow, it, it's, it was encouraging news to hear at least that the House thinks that they could have something by September and to hear the uh, Senate say that they are open to a short-term extension. So uh, some good news there. The wheels are turning, and uh, at least on the Ag Committee, it seems like everybody is acting like a grown-up. So uh, kudos to, uh, to our Senate leadership and our House leadership on uh, both sides of the aisle there. All right. And so we also have that uh, we've got the first cotton bale of uh, 2023. Can you tell us more about this? I, I understand that it's um, a, a regular occurrence that it comes here from, uh, from Texas, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you know, for those for those in in the cotton business, you know, of course, everyone says, well, that's from the valley. But down in the Rio Grande Valley, um, they where they where they plant their cotton, um, sometimes as early as late January and very early February, they start harvesting about now. And we have had the very first bale of the 2023 cotton crop, and that's always very exciting. Yeah, we have. I haven't seen the first bloom in my fields yet. I've got. I've got some squares out there, but uh, but no blooms yet. But uh, Wesley Vanderpool, uh, who also coincidentally had the first bale in 2022, uh, picked it on uh, Tuesday, uh, June 20th, um, and it was a Stoneville variety, a 4990B3XF for those of you playing at home, um, planted on February the 7th. Now, uh, it's interesting, then, Vanderpool's uh, harvested bale was ginned at the uh, Willisee Co-op Gin in Sebastian, Texas. So, uh, if you'd like to uh, maybe have a part of 2023 cotton history, and, and by the way, just, just in case anyone's wondering what their, you know, what would be a great gift for their favorite ag television or podcast host, this might be where you'd shop for it here, but it's going to be auctioned off at the first bale of cotton auction and scholarship fundraiser that will happen on September 14th down in Harlingen, Texas. So uh, if you Google the uh, first bale of cotton auction, you can get all the information you need uh, to, uh, to find out about that. 
Now, I will tell you, you'll probably need to drive to Harlingen and pick it up because it is hard to find a shipper to uh, to bring one bale of cotton from Texas to Missouri. But I'm not saying it can't be done. If you're if you're buying that, maybe you've got a brother-in-law who drives a truck who'd be happy to uh, to do that for you. Uh, and we've got a loading dock here here in Peach Orchard, so we'd be happy to offload that for you. But anyhow, some exciting news there for uh, the last day of June. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Um, and the next thing we have, we, it, it revolves around a uh, survey that comes from uh, Farm Journal and the University of Missouri. Um, and that has to do with uh, the uh, you know, 60 agricultural economists. And um, as I'm getting into it, why don't you just tell us a little bit more <laughs> about, about what, uh, what's going on, what the takeaways are from this, uh, this survey. Right. Well, you know, getting getting good information um, on ag marketing and ag economics is always a little bit of a challenge because, frankly, so many of the people that you do get information from, like like myself, um, are either you know, like like me, I'm I'm a cotton merchant, so you'd have to take everything I say with a with a grain of salt. I could potentially be pitching things to uh, prop up my own position, or or their pool operators. Uh, in some cases, they're working at a university, and in the academic world, they've got great information, but they're not actually in the real world, so they're not dealing with uh, with trade issues that could be uh, that could be impacting. And then your guys in the trade, we've all got a got a bias, and we may not be able to be as objective as folks in academia. So Farm Journal and the University of Missouri said, let's launch a new periodic. I believe this is going to be a monthly uh, monitor. And what it is, is they have gone out to 60 ag economists around the country, um, uh, about half and half between uh, economic, um, ag, ag, ag economics guys and, uh, and private estimates from, from trade groups, from commodity groups, from ag merchants, and in a few cases from uh, very, very well-informed uh, producers. And so, uh, so they've tried to create a balanced perspective, and they're going to go out and survey them on what they consider to be the major issues um, affecting the ag economy in any given month and for the season ahead, um, and also to try to spot emerging issues and then put this out as a monthly monitor. Now, this is, you know, if you're interested already, you'll want to Google the uh, Farm Journal and University of Missouri Ag Monitor or the Ag Economist Monthly Monitor Survey. And uh, this is pretty exciting. They've got folks from uh, from FAPRI up at, uh, at Mizzou. Uh, you know, we've got people like Pat Westhoff involved. Uh, also noting that uh, in this particular forum, economists can air their positions anonymously. So they're thinking that this may get a little more accurate information from folks whose occasionally uh, their positions are sometimes a little bit out there from who what their employers may uh, may want to see well in this survey they can be a little more candid about that um, because they are just submitting information um, this uh, the fir very first monthly monitor which was released uh, today i believe uh, includes a look at the economist expectations of u.s planted acreage crop yields cattle inventory and thoughts on a possible recession in the united states and more um, and now, now Scott Brown um, up at the University of Missouri, certainly, certainly if you've been to a Farm Bureau or a Mizzou meeting in the last year that involved agriculture, you've, uh, you've either heard of Scott Brown or you've heard Scott Brown. Um, 
great, great speaker, great authority. We're, we're lucky to have him here in Missouri. And uh, he said that one of the things that was interesting is this, even surveying such a broad range of people that over 40 economists were in line. Um, and basically had a consensus on what the issues were, although he did say there was a broad range when they started talking numbers. Um, and the economists were asked what their biggest concerns regarding the uh, outlook of U.S. ag were, and they uh, varied a little bit. Obviously, some of the row crop people were focused on their particular crop. Livestock people had their own particular uh, set, set of, of uh, issues. But in general, the consensus revolved around the following issues and the biggest concerns. Uh, number one is increased, increased input prices. And there are a number of uh, reports actually out today, some from the USDA, showing that inputs are expected to continue rising going into the next year. Abnormal weather patterns, including drought. There is some concern about um, climate change and, uh, and going into the El Nino period and what, so, what the short-term and long-term ramifications of that are, Ex export demand and geopolitical risks. So as you know, we always talk about Russia and Ukraine on, uh, on this show and we talk a lot about China. Margin squeeze for producers um, as basically producers' profit margins get thinner and thinner, forcing producers to get larger. Increased interest rates and regu regulatory pressures negative impact on demand. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's what some of the uh, top ag economists in the country think are going to be the biggest challenges that we'll be facing in the coming year and certainly in the years ahead as well. So uh, that's something to, uh, something to go out and uh, take a look at. But the, the monthly monitor, you'll, you'll want to dig around and, and look that up. I think it's something that a lot of the folks who, uh, who listen to this show or certainly a lot of folks that I talk to on a regular basis will be adding that to their, uh, to their email subscriptions and calendars to be, to be watching for to find out what a – certainly if you're an ag economist, you want to hear what all the other ag economists are thinking. And if you're not an ag economist, you want to know what a whole bunch of guys are uh, sitting around thinking. <laughs> All right, um, and uh, we've got a coming together from Missouri and Iowa, and this is about property rights, the, the two farm bureaus of each state um, coming together to talk about property rights. Yeah, can you give us a look at uh, what's going on there, what the, what the concerns are? Well, sure, sure. Actually, I've got a couple of Farm Bureau stories. I'll just roll them all up into one here because I, I want to close with our, uh, with our story there on hay scams. But, um, yeah, just this week, the, uh, the Missouri Farm Bureau and the Iowa Farm Bureau held a summit meeting up in, uh, up in St. Louis and spent a very productive afternoon uh, talking, about, uh, talking about property rights and comparing uh, the, uh, the issues that each of our states are facing. And uh, it, was, it was very fruitful to see the, the largest ag organization in Iowa and the largest ag organization in Missouri come together, and it was it was pretty interesting to see, sort of like with our monthly monitor with all the ag economists, that when we compared notes, uh, both states were dealing with the same set of issues and had pretty similar perspectives. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about property rights here in Missouri, and things like uh, like the use of eminent domain for some of these merchant transmission lines. Um, this is a big issue as well up in Iowa, and it's an ag issue that could potentially affect us down in southeast Missouri as well, particularly in flatland areas like down here in God's country in Peach Orchard. But uh, up there, what's happening is um, the demand for, for green energy 
means that wind farms out in the southwest and, and the southern Midwest and, and areas like it, like in Kansas, for instance, um, and, and Oklahoma, they want to get that power to major urban centers like Chicago or get it to the East Coast to, uh, to New York, and New Jersey and places like that. And so they need to bring power lines across the country to do that. Well, in most places, in order to uh, run a power line and to use eminent domain to effectively force you to, to sell a portion of your farm, it needs to be a, a local um, entity. So, uh, for instance, your local electric co-op or Ameren or some company that's actually providing the electricity to your town or maybe to you or to your neighbors. And, and in that case, they use the eminent domain for the public good. Well, in some cases, these merchant transmission lines come through, and these are strictly for-profit projects. They're not for power for you or your neighbors, but they, the way that they have manipulated the law, they can come in and, and get the power of eminent domain to put a line across a farm that may then limit your ability to farm certain crops, may limit your ability to irrigate that farm, may limit your ability to divide or sell or or you know generally farm the way that you want to and it was pretty fascinating to learn that uh, that they're having the same issues with that up in iowa that we are um, up there they're also dealing with uh, something that's kind of a byproduct of all of the uh, clean energy apparently a lot of sources of clean energy um, involve um, actually they produce a lot of uh, carbon dioxide um, in the in the process and this carbon has to be sequestered someplace. Well, what they do is they compress it at a very, very, very high rate and then pump it into underground caverns. Um, and unfortunately, if these caverns um, have a leak or have a problem, uh, they can send up a cloud of carbon monoxide um, that is heavier than air that sits on the ground. And you can imagine if you're in a very low-lying area, this is, it's a problem. And so, uh, we, we did have a good time visiting with the Iowa Farm Bureau on some of the ways that they have addressed that up there. And, uh, you know, I think uh, folks, farmers in both states can be, uh, can be pretty happy that, that their largest farm organizations were, in fact, meeting. But while I'm talking about Farm Bureau um, and, and from a national perspective, you know, American Farm Bureau likes to come out each year. They normally do this around, um, around Thanksgiving and talk about what the Thanksgiving dinner, what the average Thanksgiving dinner for the average family in America will cost. And it's a pretty fascinating process. What they do is they send a team out in several different states from several different offices with a set of ingredients to put on a 4th of July picnic. And, and then they go out and they try to find the uh, the best place to, to buy that in uh, in their particular neighborhood or city or state and and then they come back and compare the cost to see what the national average and i'm happy to say this year that the fourth of july cookout should be a little less than seven dollars a person you know we can thank the uh, farm bill and uh, u.s agriculture for for most of that but um Interestingly, although that sounds pretty inexpensive, $7 a person is not a whole lot for a picnic. Um, that's, that's not in, including any of the adult beverages. Those, those might run a little more than $7. But um, that is still significantly higher than it was just two years ago. But it's fallen a little bit from the record highs last year in 2022. So uh, families will pay $67.73 to host an Independence Day cookout 
410, which is down 3% from last year. The survey shows a year-to-year increase in the cost of hamburger buns, beef, and potato salad, while there are drops in the cost of chicken breast, lemonade, and cookies. So, uh, so there is uh, actually some pretty good research from American Farm Bureau. They've been doing this for at least 50 or 60 years. If you go to afbf.org, you can get some of that data and see some of the uh, historical data there. Um, also, want to say if you're interested in agritourism, I know that we have a lot of vineyards and a lot of people that do uh, like little farm event centers and that sort of thing here in the uh, heartland. The Farm Bureau Agritourism Conference will be July the 16th through the 18th in Excelsior Springs, and there'll be sessions on how to set up an ag tourism venue, some of the challenges some of these folks have uh, encountered, and resources available. If you're interested in that, you can go to MOFB, as in Missouri Farm Bureau, MOFB.org slash events. And uh, I know that we've got one last story here, and, and I know we're running a little low on time, but uh, the Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, and the Department of Ag, the Director of Agriculture, uh, Director Chris Chin, um, have, uh, are warning Missouri farmers that there are several hay scams out right now floating around on social media, um, on, for instance, on Facebook, on some of the pages that, that cater to agriculture, especially animal agriculture. With the drought, people are having a hard time coming up with enough hay to feed their crops. Uh, they didn't get hay. Some of their pastures were dry, so the hay they would normally feed simply isn't available. And they are saying that there are, with these scams out there, they are saying, please contact the Department of Agriculture. Please contact the Attorney General. If you have any question or you see anything that's shady, and one of the things they mention is that you are far better off to go through someone who can verify themselves with local references. Uh, I mean, some of these people are also misusing. They've gotten, uh, there's a scam going around, for instance, with, uh, with Garth Brooks's picture um, stating that it's an organization run by Garth Brooks. That's, that is a scam. That's, that's, that's not straightforward. So uh, please be careful. Um, everybody understands needing to, uh, needing to get hay to feed your animals, but be sure, be sure you can verify that you are getting what you're paying for. And if they're asking for credit card information or some kind of bank information on the phone before you see the hay or see a truck, then uh, the odds aren't looking good for that being a, a valid source of hay. Keep, keep searching. For sure. All right. Great information. Barry Bean with the Missouri Farm Bureau Board, and he's a heartland farmer. Thank you so much for being here today, Barry. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Hope everybody has a great Independence Day. And just for the record, remember, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were, in fact, farmers. And uh, agriculture was the first industry here in the New World. So, uh, you know, this, this weekend... Thank some historical farmers for uh, for the country and, you know, when you're having your $7 picnic. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Barry, uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, as always. And to our audience, we thank you all for tuning in, being here with us today. Appreciate your time. We're going to turn it back over to Local News Live. We'll be back at 4 o'clock with Heartland News now here on KFES Digital. Thanks so much for joining us.